0: Welcome back, I'm Kim Bailey, she's Juliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. We're continuing our discussion today with Alexander Lowry and we pick up the discussion talking about whether senior executives should be developing their people skills or their technical skills.
1: So from my point of view, the robots are coming, but they will never take all the jobs. And the reality is that we can build great processes, systems, and and they'll need tinkering, they'll need fixing, you know, the regular changes, rules, things like that. But what you can never change are the human interaction skills. You can never change the leadership skills. We're never going to follow the robot from the front of the room. He's a great orator, right? It's it's the natural human interactions. And an example for me would be Davey Diamond, who's the CEO and chairman of JP Morgan, where I was. Now, granted, the man must have an eidetic, eidetic memory because he never forgets story, (laughs) and he is the best banker of the generation. He knows everything in the world. He can talk in every subject. He's phenomenal. People associate him as a leader. Now, the reality is he is abnormal. He is special. He is unique. But the point is that's a leader. You could never replace him with a robot. I don't Mm -hmm. know how you get past having the right people at the top of the house to set the right
0: Along those lines, do you see that there are tasks that you could identify that will never be anything other than people carrying them out?
1: You know, when, when I think about leadership, so for example, um, one of the things that I do, one of my side fun activities is I've got a podcast called Boardroom Mouth. Mm-hmm. And we recently had an episode where Pat Harndon was on it. She runs uh, basically the leading ethics organization in America. and She was telling a story and she said, you need to understand the importance of leadership. And it is this, that if you as a leader, CEO of the company like Jamie Dimon, if you are not regularly talking about ethics, it matters to the business, setting the right example, you're not going to jail, right? You're actually talking about the right things, doing the right things, and telling employees the right thing, and plus that message gets filtered down to the frontline boss, because you gotta have both people in line. Do not do that. If you're just quiet on the subject, people will not, uh, not only assume, they will believe that the organization is unethical and doing things wrong and it's okay to do those I thought that was fascinating in a very scary way you cannot replace that that people element is essential and there's examples of like that we can take from different subjects but that was just a great reminder to all of us of how important that that CEO situation is we need to be p- producing people who are gonna be in leadership positions who are gonna just do the right thing if we want to boil it down we can see in every country around the world bad if we want to call them bad apples that are setting a bad example, that eventually get caught. And a lot of people don't get caught. That's just the way of the world. People write it off. Oh, it's finance. It's the business world. That's not okay. Mm.
0: It's interesting because before we came online, we were actually having a discussion about a board that we both have some experience with who are going through exactly that. And it's a cultural thing in terms of where these people have come from that are sitting on the board and that they think it's okay and, if one person on the board starts to address it, it's they're the pariah, they're the ones that are doing something wrong and, and just being able to support that person and say just keep going, just keep doing it because that's the important task is the change. Do you see that there is a an organisational culture of acceptance for that lack of ethics? It's really hard to quantify that and here's
1: why. When we see newspaper articles about bad companies, bad boards, bad situations, Uber was a great example, or mm-hmm. CBS Viacom in the US, where there was a complete fail by management and the board. We can look at that and shake our fingers and say that, bad, bad. Mm. but we never know when it's been good. Yeah. Right? There's not like we can say on the opposite side, oh, these people did their job. Did they get lucky? Were they smart? Mm. Were they effective? Mm. Uh, the reality is the board is there to save the corporation, the future of the corporation, obviously for the benefit of shareholders. And it's sometimes really hard to know inside those closed-door secretive rooms how it's going and for us that's part of what we think about we're hiring someone not just for their first job we want them to advance their career to get to the sweet suite to get to the boardroom because we need ethical leaders through all of those things so your question is a good one we should always be evaluating that ourselves when we are board members but it's hard to know from the
2: outside. If you to ask your students, what are the top three things they're looking for when, they, when they're when looking who to work for after their degree? So we always talk about what sort of person you're for the organization. I want to know what the current young and up-and-coming executives are looking for in an employer. It's
1: interesting. I think most of us will reflect back for multiple generations. We think about our parents, our grandparents, what they were willing to sign up for versus what we are signing up for, what we think our children will be signing up for. And if we go back to the old days, because you were looking for one job for life, you were going to join IBM and you could stay for 40 years and you were going to get a gold watch and you're going to retire to pension and everybody was happy. Mm. That is not the world anybody lives in anymore. And uh, certainly in America, there's a whole lot of unfair negative press around the young generation. Oh, they're not willing to work hard. They want to be the CEO on day two. There's a bit of an element behind that, but it's really about they want to be in jobs where they can add value. Mm. They are not willing to sit through a lot of BS. Yeah. They want to be progressing quickly in the sense that they feel like they have skills that need to be. Used. Now, not everybody's ready to be the CEO very fast. And one of my guests, we were recording a podcast episode today, and she said, a boss gave her the feedback. "said so, you act like you're in the board in the C-suite, ready to add the value but you're not actually ready to be in there yet. And she said that was a good recognition. Is I need to earn my stripes. Mm-hmm. I've got to move up the ranks to get the experience you need. And there are people today that really want to join jobs when they're doing something that they feel adds value, not only to the company, but society. They're looking for organizations where they get an opportunity to have paid time off to build houses for Habitat for Humanity or work at the local right society, where they feel like the company's doing some good in society, as much as the company values and cares about them, there are so many great stories in America of companies that are trying to stay ahead, not by just paying a little bit more than the average, because that's a nice thing, but also they have generous paternity or paternity benefits. They have a company culture that rewards, encourages, accepts employees, and we're not just willing to sit in dark cubes anymore, sweating away for a thousand hours, waiting for a boss who might hopefully one day recognize them, give them approval.
0: That's good. So two things come to my mind out of that is that do you see that we should be encouraging people to think about staying longer in organisations?
1: You know that's an interesting question, and it depends on the hiring manager.
0: Mm-hmm. So I
1: think it also a little bit on the industry, right? So we might say the tech yeah. industry doesn't yeah. feel that way. You can jump every six months; that's probably okay. Where certain industries like banking, they might expect you to be there for several years at a minimum depends on the hiring manager. So if the mm-hmm. person who's hiring you is 20, 25 years old, they might not care if you've had five jobs in five years. Yep. If a person who's hiring you is 55 years old, um, let's say you, you took your first job for a year and it wasn't a good fit, you went somewhere else, you weren't there for six months, the company went bankrupt, you went to another startup, you were there for a year, now you want to join JP Morgan, they'd say, why would I hire you? You're a job hopper. Mm-hmm. So it's so hard. To, it's hard to know for sure, but I guess you always need to be able to tailor the, the message to your audience. So, my personal view is, if you jumped after six months, you never had an opportunity to learn yeah. from the experience. Yeah. And someone might say, I've got a bad boss, I'm at a bad company, I think, well, that's really good, but it's sort of like a relationship It's when you're dating. Mm. If you don't, let's say, if you don't marry the person, maybe it wasn't a great fit, but as long as you took things away from it, here's things I do like and don't like for my future partner, for my future mm. relationship, I've learned from that and that's mm. valuable. Let's say I, I get hired to be a box packer. My own mentality is I'm gonna be the world's best box. You're going to want to promote me. I am that good. And after six months, if I really busted my butt and I'm ready for the next one, they don't see that. Well, then I probably need to go somewhere for mm-hmm. value. But I've learned all I can from that job. It's not because I'm day two when I know I'm the world's best box packer, they should promote me. It doesn't quite
0: work that way. Yeah. The other thing that came to mind while you were talking previously was that perhaps as organizations, we are not recognizing and rewarding as much as we should. So the feeling for these people is that I have to get to to be the executive level because that's where you get recognition and reward and you don't get it until you get to that point so that's where I'm heading. And should we as as organisations be looking at what we do at every level to recognise and reward people so that they are feeling that they're a voice in the organisation and that we appreciate their
1: efforts? I'm remembering one of my other classes back at work And it was basically talking about people management. And I remember the distinct view in the day the professor said, we were sort of wrapping up the course. We talked about all of these uh, methodologies to run the good company, to incentivize staff. And she was summarizing and she said, you know, at the end of the day, the most and best way to incentivize people is money. Everybody looked around the room like, we haven't talked about this for the whole semester. She (laughs) said, you can never get it right. It's impossible. Cannot get it right. That's why it doesn't work. That's why we talk about everything else. So, in a utopian society, you would just pay the old people appropriately. But we've seen examples where companies have fiddled with this model over the last couple of years. There was a company in Seattle where the CEO said, "I'm going to be fair. I'm going to pay everybody the same wage because I don't want to screw over any of the young people." Now, if you just started there and you were at the most junior role, you were pumped because you got this <laughs> mega bonus. But if you've been the But if you've been the superstar there, if you've been the performer several years, and suddenly everybody's now making the same money you did, you left the next day because you're not getting rewarded appropriately. Money is a part of it. But to the point you're also making, it's the messaging, right? The messaging that that junior person heard was like, wow, you care about me. You're going to look after me. The messaging the other person heard was, actually, I don't care about you. I don't care if you're my top performer. I'm going to treat everybody the same. Mm It's really hard to get that right.
0: I can go back to some sessions I used to run with senior executives where I'd ask them that exact question and they had to do for me a list of what they thought was most important in their the team that they were leading and never, ever was their list the same as what the employees would put together because mm-hmm. the, the executives always thought that money was the their number one, the employee's number one consideration. And the employees generally had it no higher than seven on their list of ten. Mm. <laughs> and there was a whole well, lot of I've other things. I've always
1: found that a thank you is a big oh, thing. Right? Yes. So if you remember if you remember someone's birthday, if you remember someone's anniversary, if you will go around and okay. thank them, you know, I know you worked really hard the last week to get this project done. We would not have made it without you. Your efforts, noticed, appreciate it. That goes such a long way. It doesn't solve everything, but it really helps. It's
0: the it's the recognition and it's the personal interaction combined it's very very powerful.
2: I think it's important also to know that as you said it's a relationship and you've got to respect it both ways. When you were talking about people seen as job hoppers I had a a recent example where the interviewer has pointed out to this person that they are hopping, job hopping and why And the person had the presence of mind and the right temperament and respectful tone and said to the potential employer well, how long are you guaranteeing my job for if I was the successful uh, applicant? <laughs> 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 and, and I think we've got to remember that we're expecting one thing, but we're saying, but, you know, we've got to restructure, we've got to move on, and we, we, we churn people as well.
1: Well, I think if I go back to that dating analogy, right? I think employment is like, that. as long as it's really fun and interesting and good for both sides, it continues. But whenever it stops being for either side, the relationship
0: ends. Then it's really no different to buying a new house. You know, you really, I was always told that you have to live in a house for 12 months for every season until you do anything to the house so that you know yeah. exactly what happens. And jobs shouldn't be any different.
1: Well, just as long as it's not like buying a boat. Do you know <laughs> the story about there's two good days for a boat owner?
0: Yeah, the day yes. they buy it, the day they leave, they lose it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. Yes, I, I'm, I'm in the yachting fraternity. I, I, I probably hear that every season. We have a couple of other questions. One that we, we've we asked of a few people who have a dual role. It's really in terms of priorities and time management. So how do you determine your goals when you have this educational role as well as a business role?
1: I'm a firm believer in you can't achieve what you don't measure, right? So my mindset is what gets measured gets achieved. Yep. But perhaps the, the corollary to that is what gets rewarded gets done first, right? <laughs> but I, that just shows you, I come with a business mentality. That's yep. the way that I approach education, and I think that's probably why I butt heads a bit with some people in the, in the, in the faculty <laughs> space at the university. <laughs> but I come from a place of love of, I think if we move business this way, it will be more effective, we will yes. be more profitable, we will be therefore better able to serve our students, our shareholders, our stakeholders, if you will. So for me, I'm, I'm business first, but also, I'm, as I'm part of the faculty, I am a professor there. So I recognize our duty is to serve our students well. But I think often we can best serve them if we come with the business mentality. So my job is to build and launch the Master's in Financial Analysis program to the best that it can be. And that includes the standard of education within it. And therefore, I hold myself to high standard from my class. But to me, that is a part of the overall business that
0: we're running. Just one last question. We're almost done. We ask it of all our guests and we don't give you warning beforehand because we want to hear your on-the-spot thinking. (laughs) Quite a simple question. It is if we were having this conversation in 12 months' time, what would you like to look back on and be really satisfied that you had achieved?
1: Well, I know if the, the president of my school were answering this, he would say that we would have about 10,000 students in the <laughs> class. So um, that would be, that's probably the goal that we're working towards, which will definitely not be this year. And, uh, that's never my goal. I'm never going to get to that scale. Uh, mm-hmm. But in 12 months' time, which sort of as we talked about before in terms of the employer relationships, the brand that we are building, not only of the school, but of the students of the caliber that are coming out. And clearly, the numbers will grow over time of, of what, who we're producing and putting out there. But, you know, part of my job is sort of a chicken egg thing. I've got to bring in really good students and help open the doors for really good opportunities. that then they can go out and begin making a difference. And that becomes a pay-it-forward pay methodology because they'll be impacting business, doing well for those businesses who will mm. learn about our students and our school and our education will therefore want more of them. It becomes a self-fulfilling process. So if a year from now our brand has grown even stronger and more students are attracted to the program, the right kind of students for the right reasons, I will be chuffed. Mm.
0: That's excellent. We, we do thank you very much for your time today and for all of that background and information. And we... Certainly wish you well with the increase in students and technology and we look forward to hearing how that is going. We'll put all the links that you have given us onto the webpage so that people can be in touch with you or have a look at what opportunities there might be to be outplaced students in the technology side of things in the years to come. But, Alexander, thank you very much for joining us today.
1: It was my pleasure. Have a wonderful day.
0: That is the second part of our discussion with Alexander Lowry. We will have the links for his own podcast at the bottom of our webpage. But for now, I'm Kim Bailey, she's Juliana Osborne, and this is Inside Exec.